There's something that I have uh, observed over the past several years, and it's a, it's a very troubling pattern. It's, it's a problem that's, that's always been there, but it seems to have gotten worse in recent years. And, and I've had the unfortunate duty of bearing witness to family after family after family that's in trouble or in ruin or in crisis, marriages on the rocks, children living in rebellion and running from God, homes being torn asunder by adultery, children being neglected or abused. I've seen it all and, I, and it breaks my heart. And it's for that reason that the Lord has laid on my heart to preach a series of messages that I'm just simply called Family Life. And over the next a few weeks, I, I hope that you'll be challenged and I hope that you'll be, be equipped to grow your family into something that will last forever because that's what we want. We want our families to last forever in, in, in the presence of God. Isn't that what really matters to us? And so today we're going to be talking about something and this is really kind of a call to arms for the people of God. We're going to be talking about the family at war. And with that in mind, I just want to read from Ephesians chapter 5 beginning in verse 21, just a passage about family. And uh, this is what it says. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present herself to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their lives as their, excuse me, their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Would you bow your head and pray together with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all that you've already done in our hearts this morning. You have, you have ministered to us already in powerful ways already. We have experienced the moving of your presence, your spirit in our lives. And now, Lord, we just pray that you would make your word come alive to us. Speak to us past the level of our emotions and past the level of our intellect. Speak to everyone within the hearing of my voice, deep within our innermost being. And Father, I pray that, that we would begin to heal and strengthen families. Do what only you can do in this place today. And I'm asking this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Our planet is a battleground. There is a great transcendent supernatural spiritual war that is swirling around us and this and swirling around this planet upon we live this planet is the battleground there is an out and out attack satanic attack upon everything that is of god god himself has established only three institutions the government the church and the family and the first of these that he established is the family from the very beginning god revealed 
that the that the thought the, the that he thought and spoke and acted in terms of families. God is concerned for the family because it is, it is somehow reflective of his character and nature. God deals in relationships. The nuclear family unit is reflective of the character and nature of God. Inside the Godhead, there is a sense of family, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. At the very heart of the gospel is the idea that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is not theory, but it changes the way we relate to one another. And there is no place where we relate to, uh, to one another in such intensity and with such intimacy as in the human family. The family is sacred to God. It's not just the product of, of social uh, uh, systems. It's not the product of middle-class evangelical puritanism. It is the single most ancient and most important institution of all of humanity, and it was instituted by God himself. For that very reason, Satan has always hated the family. But in recent times, he's, he's begun to begin a deep-seated, all-out frontal assault on the family at a whole new level. A story was told of, of a 12-year-old boy. This story emerged from, the, from deep within the killing fields of Cambodia. Many of you are young enough, you don't remember this, but you can go and read about it, about the history of Cambodia and what took place during the reign of the Khmer Rouge and the officials of the Khmer Rouge, which was a communist government. The officials pressed a revolver into this little boy's shaking palm and his father knelt before him, bound hand and foot. At the command of, the, of his communist overlords, the, the thugs under the command of Pol Pot, the muzzle of that pistol was pressed against this little boy's father's forehead. And this little boy was screamed at and berated and commanded and cajole, cajoled and threatened and coaxed and pled with until he finally blows his father's brains out and proves that he is a worthy steward of the state who has broken the last stranglehold of decency and civilization that would hinder him from being completely subjugated to the state. That is satanic. That's not an alternative phil, uh, political philosophy. That is satanic. There, there is the, the mockery of the language of Sir Frederick Engels in the Communist Manifesto. He spoke of the bourgeois claptrap of the family and education of the hallowed correlation of parent and child. And he said, this must be destroyed. We cannot understand communism. And when I say that, I also need to include the modern term that, we, that people like to use, socialism. And they try to pretend as if, as if it's something different and nobody's ever really done it right. But we cannot understand those terms until we understand its malevolent hatred for the nuclear family unit. And therefore, its necessary militancy for women to be plucked from the center of, of the nuclear home, for respect for the father to be destroyed, and for systemic rebellion to be bred into the minds and thinking of children. And it's going on today, and it's under all, many, many names there are Organizations like Black Lives Matter, that's really a socialist organization that is very charter included, that is to be uh, the family, their, one of their goals is to eradicate the nuclear family unit. This has been going on for years. In 1920, Lenin wrote this. Now, now listen to this. He wrote this. We are leaving no stone unturned in our efforts to overcome the backward ideas of men and women to destroy the old uncommunist psychology. He said, we are establishing communal kitchens, 
public eating houses, laundry and repair shops, infant care units, kindergartens, children's homes, and public educational institutions of every kind. In short, we are seriously and energetically carrying out the demand of the communist program for the transference of all economic and educational functions from the separate household over to society in general. We are seeing this played out even today even in our nation. That is the plan of monolithic communism and socialism. It is at the heart of what it is all about. But, but now we say to ourselves, we hear this, say, what is this all about, Pastor? Haven't you been keeping up on the news? The stranglehold of Europe, Eurasian communism is gone. The communist empire has collapsed. Why, Pastor, you're beating a dead horse. But the point is that we, we can't even, that even as we can't understand communism apart from its hatred of the family, we must understand that communism and this idea of socialism was not merely a fleeting alternative socio-economic experiment that has largely failed. It is a satanically inspired effort, not only at world domination, but at the destruction of God's three great institutes, institutions. It is, it is a biblical, spiritual battle. And at the very heart of it, the very soul of it, the mind behind the mind, you see, communism has never been the issue. It was, it was never the issue. It still is not the issue. The issue was Satan behind communism. When communism is gone, there'll be another, you know, going back into the World War II, Nazism, National Socialism in Germany was never the issue. It was the spirit behind National Socialism. It wasn't Hitler. It was the spirit behind Hitler. He was an evil man. He was everything that, 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 that you could consider as antichrist is embodied in him, but it was, it was the spirit behind him. When Hitler commanded young German girls to engage in promiscuous sex in order to father more and more children for the fatherland, in order to replenish his diminished ranks of the Nazi army, it was not just some simply a, a bizarre command of National Socialism. It was a satanic effort to corrupt the family morals and to replace normal decency and commitment to the nuclear family unit and replace that with amoral affection for the state that would destroy normal family loyalty. And when the gun is pressed into the hand of a 12-year-old boy in the killing fields of Cambodia and is commanded in the name of state loyalty to murder his family. That's not just about Pol Pot. That's not just about communism. That's not just about Cambodia. That's Satan's war on you. It's the same war. It's the same Satan. It's the same enemy. It's the same target. What I want you to understand is we're fighting the same war and you and your family is the target. Modern Western American Christians are not taking seriously both the lethal, lethal malevolence of the satanic attack and the fact that their personal family is the target of a satanic war. You see, we get caught up in the politics of it. And I want you to understand, none of this is a political message. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the spirits behind what's going on in the world today. And, and, we, and, and modern Western uh, uh, American Christians have not taken seriously the spiritual battle that's going on. And they have not taken it seriously that the enemy is doing everything he can to destroy your family. And until we get serious about this, Satan is going to continue to rip the life out of family after family after family after family. The destruction of the family is not a means to an end for Satan. It is the end goal. 
Communism was a means to an end. National socialism was a means to an end. Abortion is a means to an end. Adultery is a means to an end. Porn- pornography is a means to an end. Pornographic books in, in, in the schools, libraries, that's a big battle. That's a means to an end. Working hard to, which is what many people are, they're working hard to expose children to sexual materials and gender theory and drag queens. It's all a means to an end. It's not about those things. It's about what Satan is trying to do in the end goal. And Satan's end goal is the destruction of your family and the destruction of mine. Satan is not interested in putting forward some kind of dogmatic platform. He wants results. The truth is, if communism won't work, if Nazism fails, if some other tactic doesn't work, he'll always come up with something. I'm I'm trying to say we are at war. Whether you know it or not, we are at war. The war is intentional. It is universal. universal, It is satanic. It is unrelenting. it It is merciless. And it is focused. And the war is on the family. Now, furthermore, we need to know that Satan's war on the family is not a new thing. It is ancient. From from the very beginning, the war was on the family. When Satan spoke to Eve in the Garden of Eden, he said, did God really tell you that? Now, Eve never really spoke to Satan. What he's really saying is, did your husband tell you that God said that? Is that what your husband said? And the war in the family began. And look at the results. Didn't Cain rise up and slay his own brother? He bashed his brains out on the very altar of worship didn't the the lethal hatred of rebellion and murderous rage begin to tear the life out of the very first family the first family knew the destruction of satanic attack and that war has not changed the character of its hatred and the focus of its attack is still the family your family the, the satanic forces that inspired communism and Nazism are not theoretical. Satan is, is not pro-communism any more than he's pro-Nazi or pro-right or pro-left or pro-American or pro-Chinese or pro-anything else because Satan is altogether anti. He is anti-humanity. He's not pro-anything. If he, if he puts on the a robe of, of pro-communism for a while. He's perfectly content to do that. But communism is not the thing for Satan. Satan is not trying to build up communism. Satan is trying to tear down the family. He's trying to destroy the family, the very, the very building block of all of society and all of culture and all that we have, all that we know. He's trying to destroy family. He's perfectly willing to put on the robes of being pro-anything if it will allow him to work his anti-humanity agenda. He is anti-life. He is anti-Christian. He is anti-God. He is anti-church. He is anti-order. He is anti-decency. He is anti-morality. He is anti-love. And he is maybe above all things anti-family. Why? Why? It's because there's something about the family unit that reminds him of the character and nature of the familial love of God. Every time Satan sees a father slip his arm around a little boy and say, son, I love you. The hatred of Satan boils up from inside of him because it looks just like Jesus staring down from the cross at sinful humanity saying, I love you. Every time a mother holds a defenseless baby to her breast and that, and that, and that wonderful deep love and that intimacy known only to a mother and, and baby as she nurses that child 
a, a satanic hatred from the very pit of hell is focused on him, on, uh, on them, and they sit defenseless, mindless, and without realizing that all satanic power, everything that has, that energized world communism, everything that was behind the lethal hatred of Nazism, everything that motivated Pol Pot and drove the bloodshed of the killing fields, everything that filled Hitler with the hatred that he had of the Jewish people, all of that is directed against her in hatred unto murder. Why? Because Satan, to Satan, that looks like our relationship with God because he is the one that sustains our life. And until we take this seriously, that Satan hates us, that he hates humanity, that he hates your family, we will never get serious about defending ourselves. Satan is willing to use any means to promote the destruction of the family. He's willing to use Pravda. If you don't know what that is, that's the Russian communist propaganda newspaper. He's perfectly willing also to use Cosmopolitan. He's, he's perfectly willing to use a KGB agent who kicks in the door at a, of a prayer meeting and arrests everyone there, or he's happy to use the ACL, ACLU. And if that won't work, he's completely willing to use an immoral lawsuit that is repugnant to God. He's perfectly willing to use a Nazi who hangs a priest, but he's just as willing to use backslidden American denominations that are willing to approve the marriage between homosexuals. Satan is no respecter of persons any more than God is. He's willing to use the least and the lowly, and he's willing to use the high and the mighty. We see people historically like Idi Amin. Some of you are younger folk don't know who he was, but Idi Amin was a brutal, brutal dictator in the country of Uganda. The story uh, is told of a time when he took a family up on a bridge over, the, over a crocodile-infested river that flows through the capital of the city of Kampala, and he, he made the mother and the little children watch as they threw the father bound hand and foot into the river and made them watch while the crocodiles devour, devoured their father. We've always had the idea that somebody like Idi Amin or Hitler or someone like that is the supreme enemy of the family. But what we don't understand, what we don't take seriously is that every time a father turns to an adulterous relationship and hurts and wounds his children and drives his wife to despair and disrupts his family, he's, and that that very man is holding hands with the same demons that compelled Idi Amin to, to throw that father into the river. He's just as wretched a foe of everything that is good and godly. He's filled with the very same demons. Every time some young bride reads some high-minded, idiotic article in Cosmopolitan magazine about finding her destiny and fulfilling her potential in life and telling her that she should just give, be free of the shackles of marriage and she walks off and leaves a 28-year-old husband and two babies in order to find herself, she's holding hands with Hitler in the destruction of the family. We've never begun to take it seriously that the force that hates the family, that wants to rip the life out of it, to destroy marriages, to break up homes and make children's lives miserable, to, to where they weep in the night saying, oh God, why won't my mommy come home? It's the same demonic power. If we lie to ourselves and con ourselves about it, we'll continue to lose. We must get serious about the depth of this war. Satan is so subtle, he is so cruel and so relentless in his pursuit of the family. Listen, Satan, yes, he will use those things that are evil to destroy us, but now listen to me. He will even use those things which are good to destroy us. 
pastor had a rather disconcerting conversation with a teenage boy. They were talking about some issues regarding abortion, and the pastor felt that there was some resistance there. So, so he said to the young man, he said, I, I know your mom is really active in the anti-abortion campaign here in the city. And when he said that, that just really touched a nerve for this boy. And he, he, excuse me, he clenched his fists and he said, I tell you, pastor, I hate the pro-life movement. And the pastor said, what? what? What are you saying? And the boy said, oh, I don't, I don't mean that. I really don't mean that. I know abortion is a terrible thing. I know that. But then tears came up in, his, in this 17-year-old boy's eyes, and he said, what I'm trying to say is that I'd just like to have my mom back. See, if we get so caught up, so inflamed in our passion, so in any cause, even a great cause, uh, even the, in the noblest of all causes, then Satan can even use that to drive a wedge between us and our families. And if he can do that, then he is one with good as well as with evil. We must get serious about the fact that the basic essential ministry to which we are called is our own families. And listen, do you think I'm lecturing you? I, I, I'm talking to Pastor Dave here because I want you to know I, 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 there is no ministry on earth to which God can call me for which I'm willing to sacrifice the life of my family. In fact, God won't require that of me. He won't require that of me. The, the, the basic essential unit of my ministry is, is those three little lives that are entrusted to me, my wife and my two daughters. And my dear friends, you also are called to this with your family. There's a, there's a war from the outside, from, through false concepts of the family union, through redefinition of the family. Listen, I'm going to say some things that are going to get me some hate in parts of the world, but I have absolutely no hatred in my heart for homosexuals. Listen, they are wounded, they are hurt, they are in need of the loving grace and tender affection of a church that's mature enough to minister to them. I, I know that in my heart, but listen to me. We do them spiritual and moral harm in our efforts to minister to them if we affirm them in their sin. In the same way, listen, I'm not singling them out. In the same way that I would be doing the, the same harm to a man who said, I want to live in adultery and I feel like it's God made me this way. And so I'm going to live in this. I'd be doing the same harm to him if I said to him, oh, well, God, God's, God loves you. Just do whatever you want. It's the same thing. It'd be, it, 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 if I say to someone who's dying of cancer, oh, oh, it's perfectly all right to have cancer. Don't worry about it. God gave you cancer, so he must want you to have it. Everything's okay. Don't go for surgery. Don't see a doctor. Don't get treatment. Forget about it. If I do that, I sin against that man. And if the church of the Lord God says to people who are caught up in the trap of homosexuality or, and I'll just include any other sexual sin, that, that their sin can be, can be explained away, that it's okay, that, that, that it's all right because you were born that way, which is the ridiculous argument because then, then you just excused every natural born serial killer in the world. And you say, well, that's not a sin because they were born that way. We, we know that's not, that's not a, a, a moral argument whatsoever. If we get caught up with all of these things and we get caught up and we say that and we tell them all these things, what we do is we banish them into the exile of immoral perversion in the name of grace and we sin against them by not telling them the truth. If the church affirms homosexual marriage, we sin against them by placing our human blessing on something that God has, has declared to be sinful. And, and mistake me not, church, 
God will hold us accountable as the church, as those who are called to preach the truth. God will judge us. We're not to hate. We're not to despise. And I know there are plenty of people who would accuse me at this moment of homophobia, but that's, that's just simply the label they give you if you don't agree with the proponents of homosexuality. That's what they say about everything. Anytime you disagree with them, they're going to put a label on you. But listen, I understand sin. I understand weakness of the flesh. I understand appetite. I understand all of those things. And it makes no difference whether it's homosexual sin or it's, or it's heterosexual sin. It's sin. It's period. It's sin. And what I'm saying to the homosexual everywhere or to the man or the woman living in sexual sin in this world, the way to get victory is not to establish yourself in a pitiful, confused, sordid replica of the true family. The way to get victory is to find family relationship with your heavenly father that can set you free of the demons that haunt your life. Not only is there war from the outside, though, there's war from the inside. Rebellion, hatred, Bitterness and immorality, they're all Satan's agents to destroy the family from the inside. Listen, I want to tell you something. Idi Amin, Adolf Hitler, and Joseph Stalin will never do to the family what one adulterous father will do. Lenin, in all of the communist rhetoric that poured out of his poison pen, will never destroy a family like one insolent, disobedient, rebellious teenager. Now, I want you to listen to this. I want you to hear what I'm saying here. Every person in a family has some level of responsibility to their family. The, the smallest child here laying there with, the, with your head on your mommy's lap has a responsibility to his or her family. Now listen to me for a minute because I don't want you to understand. I want you to pay attention to this. That little child does not have the same level of responsibility as daddy. That, that little child does not have the same level of responsibility that mommy has. He doesn't even have the same level of responsibility that his big sister or big brother has. But even the baby of the family has a responsibility for the safeguarding and the protection and the ministering to that family. There is a way in which even a small child, even a small child can begin to pray and believe God for the protection and healing and restoration of a broken family. That little child can believe God for the protection and care of a family uh, uh, of God. Even a small child can begin to pray, God save my daddy. They can have an impact. Yes, your, your daddy has a responsibility to pray for you. Your daddy ought to be laying hands on you and praying for you, but I want to tell you something else. For any children that hear this, you have a responsibility to pray for your parents and to live in obedience before God as the Word of God commanded. You need to remember that. It's not just your parents that need to be praying for you. You need to be praying for your parents. But let me just add it parenthetically. Because, listen, some of you, some of you young people out there, especially when you get to teenage years, you become aware of the shortcomings of your parents. Can I just tell you something? We've never done this before either. Can I get an amen from parents? And it's like, we're trying to do it right. We're not, we're not trying to ruin your life. We're trying to protect you. And we're trying to raise you up to know God. We're trying to do our best. And if we're wrong, what we need from you is not an attitude. What we need from you is for you to pray for us. You have a responsibility to pray for them. And, and, I, and I believe in my whole heart, God's calling every member of the nuclear American family to arms what, what, what would be wrong with a teenager claiming the bounty of God in her family? 
What would be wrong with a teenager believing that God could use them in their family? Let me tell you about a teenager. In the late 1950s, an 18-year-old girl was living in a godless home. Her father was a raging alcoholic. She had several brothers and sisters, uh, quite a few brothers and sisters, and, and, and some of those brothers grew up to become alcoholics. And none of them had any interest in the things of God. Well, this little girl found the Lord Jesus Christ and she began to believe that, that, that she was God's only hope for her family. And that young girl began to live in the heart of her family with, in such faith and in such power, such constant, persistent, unwavering hope for her family, claiming and praying and believing that for her family be, to be restored and healed and saved. And today, I want you to know, almost all of her siblings know Jesus. Her mother and her father both made decisions to follow Christ before they passed away. She raised five children who were all living for Jesus. In fact, one of them is a pastor, and that little girl was, in fact, my mother. She held on to her family and believed God for healing and restoration for the salvation of her family. It would have been easy for her to say, what responsibility do, do I have? She was just an 18-year-old girl. She could have said, let my dad do the praying. Let my mom do the praying. That's not my job. But she took it on herself and she said, no, God has saved me and he's put me in this family. That must mean that I have a part to play and I'm going to pray and I'm going to believe. And she saw her family change. Now, it wasn't an easy road. I'll say this. She ended up having to move out because her dad gave her a choice. Either you choose to serve Christ or you get out of the house. If you're going to stay, if you're going to serve Christ, you get, you get out of here. You're not part of this family anymore. And she left her home for a short period of time because she wasn't going to turn her back on Jesus. But in that process, her parents and her family saw this thing is real. And it took years, but her family was saved. Listen, teenagers, listen to me. You may be God's only best hope for your family. And you dare not abdicate your responsibility to your family. It's simply not enough to say, well, I was in a bad mood. Well, I was having a hard time at school. And then to live in insolence and rebellion and to make your family life hell on earth. God will hold you accountable for that, teenager. God will hold you accountable. You cannot blame mom and dad and, and then not expect to face judgment uh, before God, God holds teenagers accountability to, uh, accountable for their families as well. But parents, you, you have a responsibility for your family. L listen to me, dad. Listen to me, dad. There, there's some, some husband who says to himself, I've had it up to here with my family. I don't, I don't, I don't like my wife anymore. There's, we're not in love anymore. We don't, there's no romantic spark anymore. Our sex life is not as good as it used to be. I don't have this. I don't have that. And you're thinking about leaving your family and going with someone else. Listen to me, sir. I plead with you earnestly, tenderly from the bottom of my heart. You cannot rip the life out of your family like that in pursuit of your own personal happiness and fulfillment and not stand before the judgment bar of God. Oh, the damage that it will do. You, you've never contemplated the damage it would do. In the dark of the night, every time you start to reach your hand out to that other woman, I ask you to bow your head and close your eyes and let your imagination see your wife at home weeping and crying and saying, Oh, God, straighten out my, my husband. Oh, God, get a hold of him somehow. Save him. And until you've seen that, as I have, and you have, you have no idea of the horror you can inflict on the people that you claim to love. Until you've seen your children weeping and crying 
and saying, oh, God, save Daddy. Bring Daddy home. I've seen those, those people. You'll never, never understand the nightmare of violence and malevolence that you can inflict on people you claim to care about. What sacrifice could be too much for your family? What self-denial could be too much for your family? That's so against the grain of our culture because our culture says you do what you need to do to make yourself happy. And if everybody else around you gets hurt, they can learn to deal with it. That's the spirit of Satan. You can say, oh, I need this relationship. I need fulfillment over there. I need this job. I need this or that. But what could, what could that be to you compared to fulfilling the wonderful destiny of God for you and your family? There may be some mom here and you feel you've given until you have nothing else to give. Well, on the authority of God's most holy word, I say to you that you are called to minister the healing virtue of Christ to your family no matter what. I believe this with my whole heart. This is not just biblical rhetoric. This is not just something that sounds good on a Sunday school uh, uh, platform or a Sunday morning platform. Satan has declared war on the households of America and the households of the world. Satan has declared war on, on your family. And nobody is excused from this war. You, you say, oh, we've been married for 40 years. We've already raised our kids. and Satan's at war with your family. I want you to know, Grandma, Grandpa, Satan hates your grandkids. You grandparents, if you're not learning to stand in the gap and to pray for God's protection over your grandkids, then you're not fulfilling one of the great roles of grandparenting in the 21st century. There are some grandparents here, and, and, and you are your grandchildren's best hope of ever having any kind of meaningful contact with God. And if you abdicate that role, you have failed. You may succeed as parents, you may succeed in business, but you fail as a grandparent. You granddads, you, have you ever called your grandchildren to your knee and said, listen, well, you know, I've, you've heard all the stories, all the granddad's fishing stories, and you heard how I fought in the war. You heard how I did all these things. You've heard all these stories of my high school days and all things. But, but I ever, have I ever told you how grandpa got saved? Let me tell you what Jesus did in me. You grandmas, learn how to take hold of the horns of the altar and just say, God, my deadbeat son is messing up his life and he's destroying his family. Oh, God, save him. Save him and his little wife. Save my grandbabies. Say, Lord, I'm, I'm not letting you go until I get an answer on this. And God will hear a grandmother praise like that. A grandmother that prays in desperation, I'm telling you, will move the hand of God in her family. We're at war. And we have to get serious about fighting for our families. We're not going to just stand by as a church and say, well, there goes another family. There's another family that bit the dust. We're going to learn how to pray. We're going to learn how to believe God in defense of the family. We want to equip some parents to spend time in prayer, to believe God for their families, to invest time in the, into their children, to make sacrifices for their family, to make sure that Christ is at the center of their home. We want parents to learn how to end every external attack with a wall of fire and to bring to halt every internal attack through the saving virtue of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to believe for every member of every family to be saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. Can somebody say praise the Lord? Somebody give me an amen. Now, now listen, that's not going to come cheap. 
That's not going to come easily. That's, that's going to come when some parents get, spend some serious time in deep and agonizing prayer. Your boy leaves the house to go off on some date, and, and you know that he's just as lost as, as a ball in high weeds. You fall down on your face before God when he crosses that threshold, and you say, Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, please keep him safe. Oh God, save him, bring him under conviction. God, don't let him die like this. You put your hands around him in prayer and believe God for his salvation, no matter what. Keep praying. I want to close with two stories. Because I'm talking about, I want to close with two stories that teach us about the power of prayer. Listen to this. There was a family living in Birmingham, Alabama, and, and I've heard a pastor tell these stories. They were, he, was, he was the pastor. He was there. There's a family living in, it was living in Birmingham, Alabama. With, and they had two teenage daughters. They were both wonderful, spirit-filled Christian ladies. They were young girls, age 16 and 17. And this was back before the days of cell phones. That, that matters for the story because something happens and they had no way to contact anybody. But these two girls went one night to a pizza party at a local pizza restaurant with a group of kids. And they stayed late. And when they came out, uh, they got in their car and the car wouldn't start. These two beautiful young Christian girls found themselves stranded in a lonely parking lot of that, that pizza place in Birmingham. And th their friends had already left. All, they were all gone. They couldn't call anybody. And suddenly they realized that as they're sitting in the car, they were being surrounded by a group of hoodlums. And they began rocking that, the, 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 uh, the, the girl's car back and forth. And the girls were desperately trying to start the car. And the boys were just laughing at them and saying, you'll never start it. You'll, ne you'll never start that car. They were just laughing at them like crazy. Then they began to, the boys began to try to break through the windows. They pulled their boots off and began to beat on the windows, but the windows wouldn't break. They even took a chunk of concrete that had broken off of a curb and they threw it at the windshield and it just bounced off like that windshield had, was, was hitting, like it was hitting reinforced steel. Finally, after a few minutes of this, the car finally cranked up and they were able to drive out of that gang. And when they got home, they told their parents the whole story. They were shaken, they were crying, and their parents were in tears when they heard it because they said, about a half an hour ago, God moved on us, and we fell on our knees right here in our living room, and we began to pray for God's protection over you. We didn't know what was going on. We just began to pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. Well, later that night, the father went out and looked under the hood of that car because it just kept going through his mind what those boys had said. They said, you'll never start it. You'll never start it. And he's like, why were, why were they so confident? And he went out and he looked underneath the hood of that car and there was no battery. Those boys had stolen the battery. That's why they said with confidence, you'll never start that car. And God cranked that car without a battery. Do you, under, do you understand what I'm telling you? Now that's the power prayer. And that's the power we abandon so easily. The power that we forget about. There's a worship song that, that came out not too long ago that it's one that's on my playlist I listen to regularly. It's just called Remember. And, the, and there's a line that says, it says uh, uh, the chorus says, oh my soul, remember who you're praying to. Remember who you're talking to about your family. 
Remember who has the power, the one that brought this world into, into being, the one who created those children, who knit them together in your womb, mama. Remember who you're praying to. The second story is this. Now listen to this. A lady at Mount Perrin Church of God in Atlanta went to her pastor. and She said, my teenage son is in trouble. He was a senior in high school, basketball star, a great athlete, wonderful, intelligent boy. Within six months of graduating from high school, he had a stellar future awaiting him. And all of a sudden, seemingly out of blue, out of blue to the mom, which is never out of the blue, but he suddenly went off with a 24-year-old woman and shacked up with her. And her mother said to the pastor, I feel like my whole world has collapsed. I don't know what to do. And her pastor said, because he was 18, he, nothing she could do legal and, legally. And he said, the pastor said, well, there's nothing to do except pray. And he said, but prayer is the best thing you can do. And he said, here's what I want you to do, sister. You start praying that everything that can possibly go wrong in that relationship will go wrong. He said, pray that they'll, they'll fight. Pray that they'll argue. Pray that the romance will be gone. Pray that they wake up in the morning and both of them have such bad breath that they can't even stand to look at each other. Pray anything. He said, pray that their sex will be no good. Pray that they'll fight over the food. Pray that they like different kinds of music. Pray that when one of them thinks it's too hot, then the other one will think it's too cold. Pray that they'll get sick. Pray anything. Just pray. You know what that woman said? She looked at the pastor. He said, well, pastor, I don't know. That just doesn't seem very Christian. <laughs> he said, Christian? Later, we're talking about war here. And she said, well, all right, I'm, I'm going to go for it. Well, in three weeks, listen to this. In three weeks, that boy stood at the door of his mother's house with a suitcase in his hands and said, Mom, can I come home? She said, sure, you can come home. Of course you can come home. I've been praying for you to come home, but what happened? And he said, oh, mom, everything was just perfect. Then he said, in the last three weeks, everything has just gone wrong. Everything that could go wrong has gone wrong. And he said, mom, do you have any idea what could have caused this? And she grabbed that little boy and threw him down in a chair and, and, and she put her hand on his head and she just said, Satan, you lose. That's the power of prayer. That's the power that's available to every parent, every teenager, every child, every grandparent in this place to fight for your children. Where we can say, not today, Satan, you lose. I'm not just going to abandon my kids. I'm not going to let you just walk off with them and destroy their future and, and to steal their eternity with God from them. I'm going to fight for my kids. I'm going to fight for my grandkids. I'm going to fall to my knees. I'm going to agonize in prayer. I'm going to do whatever it takes. But I know that my God is faithful and I know that Satan is going to lose this fight. Somebody give God praise in this place. Would you do that? Listen, we are going to get serious about our families in this church, and we're going to get serious about the family of the church, and we're going to begin right now. Right now. I'm going to invite you to right now to bow your head and close your eyes. I'm going to ask you a few questions. And I want to, for the, the next few minutes, I want you to med meditate on your situation as a family. I wonder if there's any father in here that would say, Pastor Dave, would you pray for me? 
I've not really been the man of prayer and intercession and holiness that I ought to be. My family has not really had a father figure or a man of God to look up to, to model their life on. And listen to me, Dad, I want you to understand, God doesn't want to make you Billy Graham. You may never be a great preacher. You may never be an evangelist or a missionary or a pastor, but God does want to make you into a man of God. He wants to make you into a man of quiet decency and integrity and character and faith and intercessory prayer. And if you'd say, oh, Pastor Dave, pray for me. I've been a pretty good dad. I've done the things that American fathers are supposed to do, but I have not really been the man of God. I haven't led my children in the ways of God the way I should. Would you pray for me? You may be even, even be a grandfather now and you say, man, I, I feel like I blew it with my own kids, but I'm going to start with my grandkids and I'm going to start right now. I want you to pray for me uh, uh, today. And, and if you want me to pray for you along those lines, I want all of those men in this place just to hold your hands up right where you are. Are there any men in this place that say, Pastor, pray for me today? Yes, yes, their hands all over the place. Heavenly Father, you see these hands. And God, my hand is raised. Make me a better, godlier dad. God, make me more earnest in prayer for my babies. God, make me more diligent and faithful. And I pray, God, that any inconsistency in my life would be weeded out. God, I don't want them to see one Dave Hoskins in the pulpit and another Dave Hoskins at home. God, I pray that they'll see that it's real in my life. And Lord, that's what every man in this place is praying right now with our hands raised. God, make it real in me. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I wonder if there's any mother or grandmother that would say pretty much the same prayer. You say, Pastor Dave, pray for me. I haven't really been the woman of God a woman of diligent, fervent, effectual prayer, will you pray for me to become that in my life? Would you just lift your hand right where you are? I want to pray for you too. Yes, they're all over the place. You listen, if just that many women were rebirthed in prayer, it would revitalize the families of this church. I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these women. We thank you, Lord, that they're humbling themselves before you and they're saying, Lord God, make me a woman of prayer. God, sink that word deep into their lives. Make them women of God, the women of God you've always wanted them to be. And I believe you for it, God. I trust you for it. I know you're going to do great things in their lives. Now, I I want to talk to the teenagers. Maybe there's a teenager and you're still living at home and you'd say, Pastor Dave, I want you to pray for me. I don't want to be a negative influence in my family. I don't want to be lined up with satanic attack on my family. I want to be a young man or a young woman that God is using as a redemptive element in my home. I don't want to cause pain and agony and heartache and hardship and fear. I don't want to cause arguments and rebellion. Pray for me that I might become an instrument of God in my household. Pray for me that I might grow into becoming a man of God or a woman of God. And I I want that teenager, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand up right where you are so I can pray for you. Is there anybody? Yes. Yes. And then, Father, you see these hands. Lord, I pray that this very hour that they would see the seriousness of every unkind word, every rebellious attitude, that all of that is part of this satanic attack on the family. And I pray, God, that it would be broken out of their lives in the name of Jesus. I believe you for it. And I thank you for it. And Father, I pray for every family in this place, every family of those that are watching online, for every family that you're going to put us in contact with. God, I pray that you'd help us. Lord, you know the enemy is attacking, but we also know 
Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. That's what you said. You wrote that to us in your Word. And we know that you are greater. That you ultimately win the victory. And today we say, Satan, you lose. And that you would awaken in us a passion to pray. And God, our flesh will fight. We know that. Our flesh doesn't like those things. Our flesh is, is it's not convenient for us. But God, we, we will deny ourselves. We will deny our flesh. And we, say, we will say, I will pray. And teach us to pray. Teach us to pray with fervency. Teach us to pray with faith. Teach us to believe your promises. And God, I know that there are people in this room. They have prodigals in their family, children, sons and daughters that are straying. They have grandchildren that are the enemy is looking to destroy. And Father, I pray in Jesus' name that they would take heart today and realize that they are not helpless. The enemy has tried to tell them, you're, help you're helpless, there's nothing you can do. God, I pray that today you would just awaken something in their hearts. and They would say, oh, yes, there is. I can pray. And there is power when I pray to an all-powerful God. And I ask all of these things in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen.